All right, all right. Thank you, uh, Caitlin and the worship team uh, this morning. Say, since I was last here, I have a new son uh, because my daughter got married, if, if you know. So, uh, and that was amazing. Um, we are so, so grateful. And you know that, that moment, so um, you really ought to pray for my new son because I, I told him, you know, there's that moment in the service when you're the pastor and you give away your daughter. Uh, I made that big switcheroo, you know, and it was amazing walking my daughter down that aisle. Uh, but um, I told my son uh, in love, I said, you know, usually the dad of the bride disappears then. But I got to go back up on the stage and stand right between the two of them and say, I'm back uh, as a pastor. And, and I also told him, I said, I just experienced the biggest emotion in my entire life from dad to pastor. And I said, I'm always dad, always dad, right? Uh, always the way it has to be. So um, thank you so much for being here today in that rain. I was hydroplaning on the way here. Uh, you get extra, if, if we got points for anything, uh, you get extra points for doing that. So I'm just, I was glad to see my, my wife and daughter all the way from Kenya, by the way, and uh, so she may be our furthest traveler. Um, but I was a little worried because they were not here till right up to the moment. And I was like, that, that rain was something else. Um, so I, I wanna always lead us in prayer before I preach the word. And one of the reasons for that is, I need to tell you, yesterday I lost two sets of keys. So, and I'm about to preach God's word. Man, does that make you nervous? You better pray for me. We better pray for each other. Um, one set of keys I found, I lost them in my backpack, but here's the situation. Uh, everything that really counts for, you know, a year from now, two years now, is going really great in our lives. But the stuff that's really annoying, yeah, not so great. <laughs> so our buyers backed out and buying the house. So we're back to sneaking in the house to get a shower between showings. Some of you know what that is, you know, and like not, you're not able to cook, you're not able to, like everything is like fake, you're selling them a reality that doesn't exist. So the house is on an open house today, so just pray the right buyer finds it and all that can happen. Uh, so we always have these harassments and I'm so, uh, so aware that one of the reasons we don't pray is we don't feel like we need to pray, which is a really dangerous state to be in. <laughs> I really feel the need of prayer. <laughs> That's the good news. Uh, and um, in Philippians 4, he says that if you're anxious about everything, anything and everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so I want us to pray for those things and then I want us to pray for these things that Paul mentions he prayed for this church, one of the best churches in the New Testament, the Philippian church, he says, <laughs> This He says, I pray that your love will keep growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let's bow together in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that in whatever circumstance we're in, whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and so many fears and anxieties, and we need the clutch of your hand upon ours, or whether we're simply enjoying green pastures. Um, in both those situations, Lord, we need you as our shepherd. We need to lean upon you. Uh, we need to know that uh, the strength of the life that we live is not a strength that can be found in us. 
And so we lean upon you today. We come to you with all of our faults and our sins, as well as our frailty and our weakness. And we come into your presence, Lord. We would want to come turning away from anything that clouds our relationship with you, uh, with our sin, with bad choices, with bad attitudes, with wrong words that we've spoken. Uh, Lord, would you cleanse us from the heart, from the lips, from the hands, that we could come into your presence truly and really this morning? We ask, Lord, that you would wash us because you promise in your word that we come uh, and though our sins be as scarlet, through the blood of Jesus Christ that can be white as snow. So we bring our sins to you, we bring our frailties, we bring our anxieties and our concerns. Uh, we bring our need to be continually reshaped and remade from the inside out, Lord, so that in whatever situation we're in, we are representing you and we are welcoming your life into us. We lift up before you, Lord, as a congregation that our love would grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Oh Lord, we pray that for the CLC family, that love would be growing. Your word here says that your love would actually abound. There is so much stinginess in our world about love, and Lord, we perhaps should expect that from the world, but Lord, we would pray for a kind of love that would be obvious and abundant and welcoming and inclusive and sweep over people when they have contact with us, uh, where we live, work, and play, or God, especially any time we gather. We pray that. We pray for knowledge and discernment. Lord, we pray for that in the nominating team, that you would raise up that team and you would raise up the next group of elders for leadership at CLC in this new season. Lord, um, we pray that you would truly give us people who were called who know that their competence does not come from themselves, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and manifest the fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, though imperfectly, really, and observably, who manifest a contrite and humble spirit leaning upon you, who know and walk with you and prize your word and cherish it. Lord, and who would be the right people for the team of leadership and who would make us more a right team for leadership here in this season, these days. We pray, Lord, for all of us that we might approve the things that are superior, excellent, most important, and that you would protect our purity. Lord, we are impure in ourselves. We are contaminated in ourselves. We don't even need to be in a sinful world to be contaminated. It comes from the heart, Jesus said. It doesn't come from our surroundings. Would you cleanse us and make us blameless until the day of Christ? And we pray that when he comes, Lord, or maybe it would even be the moment of our death, there would be in our lives the, the mark of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't do this ourselves, but it comes through Jesus for your glory and praise. And so God, now as we turn to your word in this series about love, this section of friendship. Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would create both a longing for what your word proclaims to us 
as well as a humility that you would make us more those kind of people. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Say, it's so good to be in this series, and I do just want to say to you, you, you I know anytime a new pastor comes, you wonder, is he going to be nice to the staff? Is he going to be good to the staff? And I know that last week, Christian preached on love your enemies, and I just want to clarify everything. I offered Christian to preach on love your friends, and it was Christian who said, I want to preach on love your enemies. So I just want you to know, I'm not the, the guy who like assigns you know, the hardest text to the staff when I'm away. He chose it. But I really, I, question, I have to admit, I question it because I'm like, Christian is such a nice person. I don't think he has any experience with enemies. Like not enmity in his heart, right? I don't really, there's a couple reasons I don't really believe Christian when he says he's from Chester County. One is he's so nice. I mean, you all are nice, but um, I think he must be from Indiana because there's that Indiana niceness thing, you know, the, uh, or something. Like he is just, so, he doesn't have an enemy in the world. The second thing is where did he get that Southern accent? Like, like he comes out with that y'all, right? So, um, but so he took the, he did the heavy lifting and he did a great job. We are so blessed to have him on our team uh, in opening up that text about love your enemies. Yeah. So I just want you to know, like if we do a series on heaven and hell and I'm away for a week and he's preaching on hell, I did not assign him that. I will give him good assignments uh, for all that. But we're looking at this section on friends and we're gonna look at John 15. And I have learned, I have to say, I have learned so much this week um, about friendship by digging into the word, digging into a couple great books on friendship. We're gonna start with verse 12. Jesus is in the upper room. He's pouring out his heart to his disciples. He's given them the new command, which we looked at a few weeks ago about loving one another the way he loves us. It's love occurs in this passage over and over again. The name of the Father occurs multiple times. That teaches about the Trinity. He's teaching about the, the, most, the things that really matter uh, because he's about to depart to the cross. Uh, and in these verses, I'm gonna submit to you that he shows us the highest form of love is found in friendship love. I didn't think that before I looked at this text, but I want you to see the highest form of love is expressed in friendship love. And we're gonna begin uh, with verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. So we're looking at friendship uh, love. Uh, it's often called uh, phileo or uh, the Greek adel Philadelphia. Uh, may not be the most loving place in the world when you think about it, um, but um, it's this concept of friendship, peer love of someone that you let into your life. And I've got three points this morning, just to throw you a curveball. Um, and uh, the first one is friendship love. It's not second rate. That's what we're gonna look at first of all. This is first rate love. Second, friendship love, you don't create friendship love. And third, you must cultivate. So yep, they all rhyme. 
It's not second rate. You don't create, you must cultivate. Um, that's what we're gonna look at when it comes to love. Uh, and the first thing we're gonna see here is, I thought that the real significant love was tied to the word agape love. Uh, but, uh, and I thought that for many years, and then I learned that actually the words agape and phileo are used interchangeably in the New Testament. There really is no hierarchy in terms of how they're lived. That's a whole other sermon, I can show you that. Um, but what's very interesting in this text is that Jesus, when he gives the command to love one another, he then says the greatest display of that love is going to be seen in friendship love. And he gives that, that famous verse, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, right? And then he goes on and says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not do, know what his master is doing, but I, everything I received from my father, I have made known to you. So he's saying, he is calling us friends, okay? This is what's so amazing. You know, it would not, it, it's not such a big deal if you see, uh, you know, a, a celebrity and say, hey, they're my friend. But it is a big deal if that celebrity, I don't know who it would be, Queen Elizabeth, Bono, whoever, if they turned among a big crowd of people and said, there's my friend, and they pointed you out, right? This is what's significant. It, it's not that we call God our friend. It, it's not that Abraham called God my friend, but it's that God says Abraham is the friend of God. It's that Jesus says, I call you, know, you these disciples who we knew were gonna be miserable deserters of him, by the way, and didn't, that he says, I call you friend. So it's, it's not second rate. And I think there's something we know, we know that about friendship, that friendship needs are not a second rate need. Uh, it's not a second-rate need, one thing, because without friends, we lose most of the joy of life. Uh, it was uh, Augustine, it's not the Bible, but he said this, he says, you need two things for life. You need life and you need friends. Uh, and he expounded upon that because, and I, and I want you just to think, in all the seasons of my life, I think back elementary school, high school, college, um, work, seminary, church life. When I think of the things that really made those things a joy, you know what it was? Friends. Now, I, I wanna say, like, in, in a marriage, in a good, good marriage, your closest friend ought to be your spouse. That's included in that. Um, but without the dynamic of friendship, um, many writers say you, you lose half your joys because friendship is one of those things that it, it doubles your joys and it halves your sorrows to have that ministry of friendship. And we see this uh, in what's going on in the world. Some of you may know that in the, in the UK, they actually appointed a department of loneliness because loneliness is killing people. Um, you can look up the statistics and I found different levels of them, but if you, if you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, or uh, you never exercise, uh, or you have a condition of weight that begins with the word morbidly in front of it when you go see your doctor, <laughs> um, those all take less years off your life than loneliness. Um, loneliness is deeply impactful to our spirits. Uh, and I think we should know something of the, the prevalence of this need for 
human companionship because when Adam was alone, it was the one thing God said was not good in Eden. And, and when he said it is not good that Adam is alone, yes, he created Eve and yes, she became his wife, but basically uh, it is not as much commending marriage as it is saying that God did not want a world in which we were alone. Uh, it, it is, you cannot be living in a very good life. You cannot live a very good life if you do not have friends. And I want you to think about this because Adam had a perfect body. Adam had a perfect soul. Um, he had a perfect environment. There was nothing out of sync. There was nothing out of, out, of, out of order. And he had a perfect communion with God. He was just talking, praying with God in the garden, fellowshipping with God constantly. And so sometimes maybe you've heard somebody say like, oh, well, all I need is God. That's not biblical. <laughs> That's not scriptural because God said that when he was communing with Adam, he said that he made Adam to actually need companionship. He didn't make us to be able to thrive alone. And, and um, even before there was any sin in the world. And so he made a helper suitable for him for communion so that out of that marriage, there could be a populated earth that would create communities of friendships all over the earth. Uh, and and this, this, was, this was God's design for Adam. There was no deficiency in Adam. One writer said it this way. He said, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect, he was lonely. I want you to think about that. The ache for friends that you have and I have, and this will create a longing in some of us, the ache for friends is one ache that is not a result of sin. This is an ache that is part of perfection. God made you in such a way, God made me, that we cannot enjoy even paradise without friends. God made us in such a way we cannot even enjoy our joy without sharing it with friends. It, it's, you know, what Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis says in another place, he says, you know, that, that praise completes the enjoyment of something. Being able to say to someone, I saw that sunset, or I heard that symphony, you know, or, or I saw that play, that incredible catch, you know, with this center field wall. Uh, you, you need to share that with somebody. Uh, it, if you can't share it with someone, it, it, you have less enjoyment. And so from the very beginning, Adam, he was made to need someone. Why was he made this way? I think because, again, Here's, here's the reality for us as Christians. Our God was never, ever alone. When you think about God, because God enjoyed the company of himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in this community of fullness. God didn't create Adam because he was lonely, but he created Adam as an image bearer to bear the image of God so that he would be one who showed that we need community, we need relationships, we need each other. And this was not a deficiency, but rather it was the overflow of the fact that um, you know, if you believe in a version of the God like the, the God of Islam, that's just a solitary being. And he had to learn, that the, the God of Islam had to learn how to love and have a relationship uh, on the day he created something, <laughs> according to that narrative. Our God, before God ever had a sin to hate, he had a, a, a son to love and, and who was his equal? And so in the Trinity, there was this constant, there was a, the party didn't start when we were created. <laughs> the party was going on from all eternity. I know this is mind blowing, but, but in the confines of the Trinity, God's community uh, of 
The father radiating and reveling in the son and the son uh, taking from the father and disclosing it and love it and the spirit. And so when God made a creation, he made us to need each other in that way. And so friendship is not second rate. And you, you wanna say, look at how about the life of Jesus? Did Jesus need his friends? Jesus is sinless. Jesus in his divinity in a sense had continual communion with the father. But yes, in his humanity, Jesus needed his friends. He loved his friend Lazarus. He wept when Lazarus died. He, he drew near to his friends, uh, and it was not imperfection, but it was because there was never anybody more sociable. There was never anybody more longing for righteous human company than the incarnate Son of God when he showed up and embraced our humanity. And, and so this, this creates a longing in us. It should create a sense of friendship. Is, it's one of God's greatest gifts to us. Uh, when you think of uh, a whole life, and again, there's, there's been um, some great studies, there's sobering studies done by, what does a person think about when they come to the end of their life? And at the end of our lives, uh, what we value most are not gonna be the great experiences we've had. We're not gonna wish we paid more for vacations. We're not gonna wish uh, that we had invested more in our career. But virtually at the end of their life, everybody had the regret that they wish they had kept in touch more closely with their friends. They wish they, they had invested more in the relational level of friendship. Uh, and so it's a top rate, it's a top need. If you're resonating with it, if there's a line, it's, it's because God created us this way. And if, if this sermon does nothing else this morning, I hope it, it causes you to invest more in friendship just because you realize how important it is. Maybe there's a friend you just need to text. Text doesn't increase the intimacy, but sometimes texting someone just is a lifeline to say, I'm thinking about you, I love you, I miss you. Let's get a phone, let's get a phone connection going on. Let's get a cup of coffee if they're able to have a cup of coffee because it's important. But the second thing, you don't create friendships. Um, C.S. Lewis in his great essay on friendship uh, in The Four Loves, uh, and yeah, he perpetuates that myth a little bit about agape being the highest in friendship. But his essay is excellent on friendship. Um, he says that friendship is generally discovered and it is always about something where you discover somebody along the way and you, and, and you say, you too. And I, I just wanna say, when I think of friends and, and I just had the experience of walking down that aisle with my daughter and seeing so many lifetime, long-term friends. And I just thought, like, these are not friends I chose. They're gifts that in the intersection of where we lived, what we were doing, uh, what our priorities were, God dropped these gifts uh, into our lives. And friendship is generally about something. And here's why a church should be a place where... Um, where friendship is part of the culture. And I don't mean by that that we can say, you know, if CLC uh, has 3,000 members, that we say we have 3,000 friends, but it's a place where we say there are communities of friendship where people have opened their lives and their hearts to each other, and they continue to have that kind of open, welcoming culture of friendship. In other words, we're friendly to absolutely everyone, but there is a, a kind of exclusive sharing that happens in those, in those networks uh, that is multiplying. Uh, and we have reason to be the friendliest place 
uh, of all places in Chester County because we already have something in common. If you love Jesus Christ, you have your greatest priority is set in him. And so you can share out, out of that passion. And, and friends, are, friends are special gifts. Uh, somebody said this, they said, uh, uh, and this is a little bit irreverent, but they said, you know, friends are God's apology for the family he gave you. <laughs> um, but Proverbs says it this way. It says, a friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for adversity. Now, this compares sibling love to friend love. Now, not all of us have siblings. So if, you're, if you don't have any siblings, if you are an only child, um, then you're gonna need friends more. Why? Because on the day of adversity, you don't have siblings. But, but here's the comparison. A friend loves at all time. Here's the thing. Uh, if you have siblings, you didn't choose those siblings, they often will force you into connections that you might not have chosen. Uh, I happen to love my siblings, so I'm blessed that way. But, um, but I don't know that I would have immediately chosen them. They're, you know, the genetics do a crazy thing. They throw these people into our life that we're to love, right? And, and it says that, so siblings show up in your crisis. They're right there. But you may not want to spend a day on a boat sailing with them by your choice. <laughs> or you may not say, hey, let's all get together for our families for a week at the beach. You may not want to with your sibling, but your sibling's gonna be there. Your sibling's gonna be there for you in that absolute adversity, but, but a friend loves at all times. And, and so the friends that God gives you in a sense are siblings you choose and, and they're always with you, but your friends, uh, and, and your friends are, are those who can, can be with you in those ways, but your siblings share such a history with you that in that time of adversity, man, there is something so sweet about leaning into the arms of a sibling, crying the same tears. We've just been through some of that that, that is a precious gift. It's precious from friends. It's, it's precious from siblings, but friends are, are this thing that is given to us. Uh, that so, so answer the ache of our heart. Um, and so recognize what friends you have. Recognize that what, what gaps you have. And here's something that will happen with our friends that doesn't happen with our siblings. A sibling is a sibling for life and friends sometimes shift in and out based on where you live based on what your, your schedule is. It's okay sometimes for somebody who's in the friendship lane because you're, you have so much in common and so much in terms of your life in common and then all of a sudden maybe there's a move and all of a sudden they become more like a very beloved but very much more distant than what the function of friendship is. Um, and so they become, they become more of that almost acquaintance that you love. You love to see them but they aren't sharing it interlocked in your life. Uh, when you have a friend, it's someone who can, can keep someone up to date. You don't go through a real dark and deep and hard experience without updating someone who is an intimate friend. Uh, a friend is someone who you can have the discussion and say, what's the climate of your heart right now? What's the climate of your relationship with God? Is it, is it, is it sunny? Is it foggy? Is it scary? Is it threatening and menacing around you? You know, a friend is someone you can share those kind of discussions. And, and that's why this final point is, um, though friends are not something that you create, they are something that you cultivate. 
that we're to be a people who cultivate friends. Now, Jesus here says that these disciples, he says, they've reached the stage of friendship because he's taking the initiative. He's going to open up. Uh, friendship always demands a risk. You think of, uh, think of the Son of God in this example. Uh, he took all the risk on us who are unworthy. We're not, we're not worthy of anybody risking anything on us. Uh, they were going to terribly fail him, but he was going to persevere with them and bring them out the other side uh, of their failures. Uh, and he's telling them all this before. A, a friend is someone that you let in. So, some of us need help with that. To say, hey, I need to let my friends in on this. I need to let at least a friend in on this. If you face a stubborn darkness that won't go away, and you may not even know what caused it. If there's a friend, the use of a friend is to, to open that up to someone. Uh, and, and that does take a risk. I mean, I've been in situations where there was a lot of darkness and there was a lot of a difficulty in life and I, and I thought, oh, this will be a friend. And as I began to share, I felt them go, you know, and I'm like, okay, uh, that was awkward, and that also is probably not a friend. Um, and so then you've got to find that next place where you can you can let them in. Um, and and it's okay that not everybody is in your earnest circle of friends. By the way, uh, somebody said this: you can tell the difference between a friend and an acquaintance is that when the bottom drops out of your life. Uh, acquaintances come and they say, hey, if you need anything, call me. But a friend will say, hey, I'm bringing dinner over to you tomorrow and we're going to eat together. That's the difference between a friend and acquaintance, right? Now, don't knock acquaintances though. <laughs> because you know what? I'm an acquaintance a lot of times. A lot of times, the reason I don't say, uh, beyond just having limits <laughs> of what I can do, don't say I'm bringing dinner over tomorrow is because I, I may not know the person well enough to know that they would really love company, Right? So acquaintances are good. Thank God for them. We ought to cultivate many acquaintances that we feel good toward, and we ought to cultivate people that we say, hey, man, and really mean it. If you need anything, call me. I mean it. <laughs> I'm getting better about, by the way, if you say that to me, you better mean it, because I'm getting better about calling on people. <laughs> you know. So if you say that to me, and my basement floods at two in the morning, I'll probably call my friends first, but then I'll say, oh yeah, there were those acquaintances who said, call me, what was their name? Oh yeah, 2 a.m., you're getting a call, because you said it. <laughs> and I appreciate acquaintances. I'm not whining about acquaintances, okay? I'm not mad at acquaintances. I'm happy for acquaintances. I'm looking forward to make more acquaintances, many acquaintances. I want us to be a church that has a culture of really wholesome acquaintances too. But out of those acquaintances, then there's a, there's a place for friendship. And, and again, that a friend doesn't wait. A friend doesn't say, call me if you need me. A friend says, this is what I'm doing. I can think of a time when it was pretty dark in my life. And, and I re just remember this. There was a blizzard. It was around 96. And there were tough things going on. Uh, and this friend didn't ask or anything. They just showed up with, with a little container of Thomas Sweet's bittersweet chocolate ice cream. And I was like, man, you were a friend. Uh, you were a friend. If you brought hot chocolate, you'd be an amazing friend because I'm cold, but you brought ice cream. Um, but and I think of another time, you know, it was, it was after my father died and so many people from the town showed up, but a, a friend drove 300 miles to be there. And I just thought, wow. That act preached so many sermons 
to my children and so many people uh, because that's what they did. They, they gave themselves to it. So, so this creates longing for us, right? We want this kind of friendship, but you know what it does? It also creates some guilt because I think, ugh, I've missed so many opportunities to bring that double chocolate ice cream or whatever would lift that person's spirit and just go do it. You know, or there have been times I should have driven the 300 miles. I just should have done it. Because the place of friends is so exalted. I mean, I heard somebody say the other day, they said for a long weekend that was coming up for Memorial Day weekend, they had, a, they, they had an inclination to go see a friend. Then they checked it on Google Maps and saw it was going to be an 11-hour drive. And so they thought, eh. But, it, but someone else caught them and said, they're one of your best friends, right? Do it. Do it. Make the drive. And so he made the drive. But friendships require that kind of, of cultivation. And, and it requires of us that kind of initiative. And it requires that we let people in. It requires that we, we have a kind of empathy that makes it impossible if they're weeping for us not to weep. It makes it impossible if they are rejoicing for us not to experience some joy. It's why we can't have just everybody our friend because our emotions would be like a chameleon on plaid. We would just be all over the place, never centered on everything. But you know that the people that you're intimate with, when you take them into your life, it's, it's why when you give them counsel, you, you know that whatever they do that blesses their life, is gonna, it's gonna bless you because your heart is beating in their body to some degree. You love them. That's what love does. And so you just have that, that ministry of, of care. And, and, and you want to be that person. One of the things Proverbs talks about a lot is that a friend is able to keep confidences. A, a friend is trustworthy. A friend does not take something that you've shared and then whispers it to someone else. Uh, and, and a friend does, does not participate in any kind of of running you down or even allowing other people to run you down. Uh, you know, if, if it's something that it, you really need to adjust, a friend will come to you and tell you the truth, right? Like one definition of a friend is someone is your friend if they will tell you, hey, um, your breath is kind of like a herd of elephants walk through it. Um, here's a mint. Um, you know, they may not say it like that. <laughs> but, but like a friend can tell you, a friend can come and will tell you if... You know, you're being an idiot, but they won't use that word, idiot. Or if they do, it'll be a word that you both can toss back and forth, right? It, it, like a friend will tell you, uh, that, you know, faithful are uh, the wounds of a friend better than the kisses of an enemy. A, a friend can give you that counsel, but a friend also will keep it confidential. A, you know, and, and that's part of friendship is that when you care and are invested in someone, you say, I love them too much to let them continue to do something that is going to distance them from other people or from the fullness of God's blessing in their life. And, and so, you know, this is the ministry of friendship. Churches so need for, for us to be that kind of culture where discipleship and growth and change are happening because the people who are, are bringing life on life change to each other, they have built the credibility of loving connections so that, uh, you know, if there has to be the, the cargo of truth that might hurt, uh, there are people who say, I'm only telling you this. I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't love you. The reason I'm telling you this is because I love you too much for you not to know. That, you know, if, 
If after every meal with other people, you take a toothpick and you like, you know, do that thing between the gaps of your teeth and fling the, you know, extra food that caught between your teeth, you know, around the dinner table, that is not good social behavior, right? <laughs> a friend says, I gotta tell you this. You know, um, a, a friend will let you know. A friend will let you know that if you've fallen into believing about some crazy conspiracy, and look, I think there ought to be a lot of grace because we live in a day where there's so many crazy conspiracy theories, right? But, but like, uh, I'm still prone to believe one conspiracy. I still want to believe that the best cookies are made by elves who, who live in trees, uh, the Keebler elves. I still want to hold to that, right? But if I start bringing that into my witness and into my life and into my service, I need a friend to tell me, hey, hey, Bob, you know that Keebler elf theory that you hold to? Like, you really need to park that at the door? You, you really are centering so much on the Keebler elf conspiracy? Uh, and, and man, I love you in the Lord. I love that you're enthusiastic about elves and cookies. Bring them on. But please put that aside. So do you see how we need friendship? We need friendship. We need friends. Like they say at the airport, if you see something, say something. <laughs> Those are dire consequences, right? We think, oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you see like somebody may have explosives or something. Yeah, but you know what else is dire? Our credibility to witness for Jesus, to live for Jesus. You, you could argue that's more important than a, than a temporary explosion. And so we need a culture of the kind of friendship that doesn't hold back. We need trustworthy, vulnerable, courageous, loving people who are, are welcoming people into their lives at a, at a deeper depth and, and who have some openings for some new friendships that we should be open always to some new friendships. We can't have an attitude that says, well, when it comes to friends, I'm all booked. No time on my schedule every moment. Is it? You know, if we did that, then we, you know, I would have the same friends that I had in high school. And, you know, no complaints about them. They're pretty awesome people. They, they showed up recently for my brother's funeral. I mean, Chris and Joe and Eric and Richard, I love them. But I mean, I would, if I said no vacancies because I'm just focusing on these, I wouldn't have the growth that I've had. And so we, we need to have some openings for, the, for friendships. And we need a lot of grace to maintain them. You know, friendships are made by those positive qualities. They're, they're cultivated by those positive qualities, but they're also, they will require grace. You can't maintain friendships and cultivate them if you're quickly and easily hurt. If your love is the kind that can be turned away by small slights. Um, C.S. Lewis again wrote a letter to uh, a friend about this and he, he wrote about this. He says, I think what one has to remember when people hurt you is that in 99 cases of 100, they really intended to hurt you very much less or not at all and are often quite unconscious of the whole hurt that you experienced. And he says, I've learned this from cases in which I was the hurt-er. When, really, when I have been really wicked and angry and meant to be nasty to someone, the other party never cared or even didn't notice. I hope you repented, C.S. Lewis, of those points. <laughs> but he says, when I intended to be nasty, the other person didn't give a rip. But he says, on the other hand, when I have found out afterwards that I had hurt someone deeply, it has almost always been completely unconscious and I regretted it. This is different than a friend who's untrustworthy, who slanders you, who 
you know, carries tales about you. That wrecks relationships then, and you need discernment there. This is just someone who's, he's hurt, she's hurt you, and you need to find the grace in Jesus. And here's, here's the amazing thing, and here's where I'm gonna land this plane. The friendship the Bible speaks of, friendship with, with God, is the cosmic narrative of our world. It's the friendship is the cosmic narrative of the world. The Bible starts with friendship with Adam and Eve and God in the garden walking in friendship. That friendship was broken by sin and, and the narrative that God has brought about is he's in the restoration process and the cross of Christ itself is a cosmic act of friendship extending that friendship to everyone who will have it. Uh, and, and so on the eve of his death where these words occur, Jesus wants his disciples to know that his cross is not only the greatest um, demonstration of God's love in general, but it is a cosmic act of friendship toward them. When he says, greater love is no one than this, that a, that a man laid on his life for his friends, he's talking to them. He just called them his friends. And so the cross is history's most heroic act of friendship. Uh, it, is, it is the meaning of, of where we are going if, if we are in Jesus Christ, into that that solid enjoyment of all that we have as friends. And Jesus, after all of this, built his church on the lives of friends who were complete failures. Now, he didn't just say, it doesn't matter that you failed. No, he brought them back together. He made them face their sin. He made even Peter face his denials by a fire uh, as he was cooking him fish. Um, like the fire Peter denied Jesus at, and, and he asked him three times, do you love me? Like the slave girl said, do you know him? Aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of the Galileans? He, he made him walk back through it. He made him repent, but Jesus restored repentant friends. And Jesus had the courage to go and call them back from their betrayal. Because Jesus is in the friend repair business. He's in the friend restoration business. And if our relationship that was broken by sin, willful sin, the deepest, darkest kind of sin can be repaired by the unilateral action of God reaching down and repairing and saying, I've called you friends. <laughs> I wanna be intimate with you. I want, I want you to experience the friendship of God. If that's what God says to us, then how much more should we radiate that outward? Um, I'll tell you, the world, I think, has never been more fractured, more polarized. There's never been more disposable friendships and disposable relationships. Aren't you tired of disposable relationships? Disposable friendships? There's nothing of Jesus in that. And in the, in the backdrop of all that, here's the good news. We have the opportunity, if we can just find a, a measure of the grace that God is so willing to give us, to be such a contrast to that. And to say, I, I don't care what, you, what your, your hurts or your habits or your hangups or your silly conspiracy theories, and I'm gonna call them silly while I put my arm around you. <laughs> I don't care that you think you're a smarter immunologist than so-and-so or whatever. <laughs> but I want to embrace you in the spirit of friendship. Cultivate the hope of friendship. And to say that this is a high gift of God. God takes our role as friends seriously. Because it's a way that we can bring a revolution to a hurting world. One person, one heart, one relationship at a time.
If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus and you've received his word that he calls you his friend based on the cross, he not only wants you to enjoy your status that can't be broken with him, but he wants you to be a conveyor of that. That's why he called us to be his body, his community. Let's pray. Father, we do turn to you. Um, We pray you would awaken longing in our heart to deepen our friendships. Lord, there may be some people that have been wonderful acquaintances that could be much, much more than that. Lord, we pray where we've been in just the acquaintance lane where you would call us to offer ourselves as more. Father, we pray for broken friendships where it's not really even been a case of deliberate, harsh intent. It's been missing each other. It's been honest, different perspectives from different vantage points. Lord, would you bring the action to repair those? Would you start with us? And Lord, we pray that you would you would cause the CLC family here to be known as a force, a renewed force of powerful restorative grace that is seen in in deep friendships and in friendships that are friendly toward absolutely everyone that you might multiply that work. Lord, we thank you for your unlimited friendship with us. You can call all of us friends and have intimacy with every single one of us. And so we pray, Lord, in the choices and opportunities of our life, Lord, you would both expand and deepen Um, our likeness to Christ in these areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Oh, to see your kingdom come.
prayer for us to leave with, give us the heart of Christ. And I hope you will linger. Uh, I do want to note that because of the weather, uh, we're not having the longer after service stay and linger. That's always weather dependent. But one of the most important things that happens 
at CLC at all events, small groups, Bible studies, are the things that happen outside of those ministries, those connections. So I want to just encourage you toward that. Uh, encourage you to take uh, these truths and um, connect toward maybe a friend that you've had that maybe uh, needs new connection, a fresh connection. Maybe reach out to someone who um, that connection has been frayed by various things and follow the leading of God in your life. And as you do that, as you t step out into those areas, you, you and I need a strength that is beyond us. And so I invite you to lift up your hearts and receive this benediction from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To him be the glory to all generations forever and ever. And God's people together said, Amen. Oh, give us your heart. Oh, give us your heart. Let the light of heaven shine as we step into the dark. Let's go.